Well, welcome to Awakening Church. My name is Tony Cruz. If it's your first time here, I just want to say thank you so much for coming. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're getting a chance to be a part of this community. There's like no one in the first two rows. Like everybody else is, it's like the spit row, I'll call it. All right, well, um, if it's your first time here, I just want to say thank you for coming and joining us. We're actually in the middle of a study through the book of Colossians, and this is the second series that we're doing. It's called Foundations, and we're going through Colossians 2. And essentially, we're just examining the truths that will keep us centered on Jesus as we move through the midst of life. And uh, last week, we learned that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I hope in, that you were empowered and enabled just to go and live in the fact that you can continue to walk in faith and that you are able and that you are not alone in this journey that God has called us to. And so I'm just glad that you're here to continue the conversation. Um, before we begin, I just wanted to pray for us so that we could get started. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for being here with us. We thank you for inviting us into your presence, Lord. We just pray that uh, your word would be taught, God, that uh, people would hear about you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray that I would get out of the way and let you speak, Father. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move through this community and prepare our hearts to hear the word that you have for us today. Uh, thank you so much for this beautiful day and this beautiful evening. Um, prepare our hearts. It's in your sin's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, I'll tell you a little bit about what I did on Fourth of July. We have no air conditioning at home, so yeah, so we were like, we have a good idea. It was like 9 o'clock in the morning on 4th of July. Let's go to the beach. <laughs> Anyone go to the beach on 4th of July? Yeah, like three people here. No one went to the beach at the 5 o'clock, nobody, but it felt like everybody went to the beach on the 4th of July, and I have two kids, and so it took us like an hour to get ready. And then it took us an hour and a half to get to the beach. It, when I got to Santa Cruz, it took me 45 minutes to get from, like, when I get off the freeway to Seabright. And then I had to park half a mile away with my uh, two-and-a-half-year-old. And so, like, we walked. And, and it's not a long way for me because it's half a mile. But for her, she's looking at everything. She's running. She's like, Daddy, the ocean is right there. And then we would get behind a building. And she'd cry, I want to go to the ocean. And so <laughs> I was carrying her on my shoulders and carrying stuff in my arms, and it took me a while to get to the beach. But um, when we got to the beach, we unpacked everything. My wife just passed out because we were with her in-laws. And my daughter was like, Daddy, I want to I wanna go to the cave. I was like, what cave are you talking about? So I said, okay. And I grabbed my eight-month-old Asher. I don't know if you've seen He's just cute. He's always cuddly. So I grabbed him just for cuddleness. And I grabbed my daughter, and I was like, all right, you're taking me to the cave. I have no idea where this cave is at. So we were walking to the cave, right? And um, I guess, like, there's a, there's a huge strip of rock between Seabright and the boardwalk. I don't know if you've ever been there. And there's, a, like, a tunnel in the rock. And when I got there, I was like, oh, how long has this water been sitting here? And there are all these kids playing in it, like, splashing each other. And there's kids like, ah! They're having so much fun. And I'm just thinking, that's disgusting. How many kids have peed in it? There's no movement. It's all just stagnant. And so Soleil, she's like, can I, can I get in, Daddy? I'm like, no. You can kick the water a little bit if you want. We're not getting in. And so, we, so she played in the water, then she got in. And uh, right, so there's not, she's two and a half. There's not much you can do. 
But I was, I was just standing there with her, and I was like looking at this rock, and I thought, well, how the, how the heck did this happen? And, you know, the river was walking through it. And as I was, you know, preparing for this talk today and, and just thinking about what God has been showing me, I just realized that there's this principle. I, I was staring right at it. And it was so true, but, you know, it's so obvious sometimes that you just overlook it. You're not paying real attention to it. But then when you see it, you see it everywhere. Have you had those moments? And I realized in that moment was the truth that I want us to examine today as we just continue the series on foundations. And that truth is what you allow to shape you today will determine your shape tomorrow, right? What you allow to shape you today will determine your shape tomorrow. And it was so obvious that this principle was true. I was staring at the result of it, right? The steady beating of the waves and the river moving through the solid rock for hundreds of years, I don't know, created the perfect connecting point between the boardwalk and Seabright, however infested it is or filled with small creatures and animals and children. It created that, right? And so I started looking around and I was like, wow, look at Look at the cliffs, right? You see the cliffs, and the wind has been blowing way longer than any of us have been alive, and it's shaped the trees to look like they're bowing away from the setting sun, and it's just a really beautiful picture of that principle. Have you guys ever, I mean, when you look at the trees, you're like, why are they bent like that? No one? <laughs> it's just me. Um, but I just realized, like, it's so true. What you allow to shape you today will determine your shape tomorrow. And, and I just started thinking about that. Like, nobody disagrees that our personal history had some role to play in who we are today, right? No one disagrees with that. We can say, yeah, my past has informed my present. The things that I've gone through back then have shaped who I am today. But it isn't always true that we embrace the same reality thinking forward, right? That we can actually believe that today's future can be shaped by tomorrow's history. That what happens now can actually form us tomorrow. And we don't always fully embrace that idea. And, we, and of course, in hindsight, we see that it's true, but I, I was just, again, like, really moved by that reality that what you allow to shape you today will determine your shape tomorrow. And, and there are just these moments, and I don't know if you haven't, but like this week, I've had these moments where I know that I've been shaped by God. I know that. And there have been moments in my life where I've experienced God in such a way that he's so real, way more real than the things that I'm seeing, the things that I'm hearing, the things that I'm touching. But then on the other, on the other hand, like this week, there have just been moments where I feel like God is so distant that the only thing I believe is that he's done something for me in the past or will do something for me in the future but isn't doing anything in me at all right now. And when life gets crazy, right, when life gets hectic, I, I feel like I have more of those moments, and when that happens, I realize that my relationship with God gets marked with reluctant passivity rather than active engagement. I, I stop connecting to God, and I just hang out, right? I, I, I feel more like the rocks and the trees than I do a child of the living God. And so what I'm hoping for tonight is that as we really just examine this idea that what you allow to shape you today will determine your shape tomorrow, we can be just reminded of what God is doing in our life. Because if that is true, then each and every single one of us has to answer this question. What are you presently allowing to shape you? 
Again, we don't disagree that that happens. So then, what are you presently allowing to shape you? And it's such a great question because it forces us to realize that there's something happening around us that we can't be passive to. We have to actually engage. And so today we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And I'll just begin with what Paul brings to the, just the clarity in this conversation in verse 8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. And you see, what Paul does and what God is trying to teach us is that there are only two possible answers to the question, what are you presently allowing to shape you today? And they are culture or Christ. Those are the only two things that we allow to shape us, culture or Christ. And Paul begins this conversation by clarifying something that's key to the entire idea. He starts off the passage by saying, see to it that nobody takes you captive, right? It's this command that when you think about it in other contexts, just screams activity, right? So like if, if someone is taking you, if someone is like, trying to kidnap you and someone says, hey, see to it that they don't take you captive, you don't just like, okay, Right? We don't just stand still. and We, do, we would do everything we could to, to get away from that, right? And that's the exact same thing Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, we are not like the passive rock or tree. No matter how crazy life gets, no matter how distant God feels, no matter what is happening in our lives, the reality is, is that we are not like the passive tree. We are meant to participate and engage with God, not only in what he is doing in the world, but also in what he is doing in us. And I, I used to think to myself that my passivity would actually prevent me from being shaped by the things that I didn't want to shape me. That if I just didn't pay attention to that or ignored it, that it would just no longer affect me. But what I realized is that passivity or not doing anything is actually me doing something. It's me disengaging from the process, right? And Paul is saying, no, listen, what God is calling you to is a realization that we are presently allowing something to shape us today, and that will determine our shape tomorrow. And I believe that if we believe and embrace this idea that we have no personal responsibility for that process, then we miss out on something huge that God has intended for us in Christ. And so I want to take us through the rest of Colossians through 2, 8 through 15, and identify just three areas that we presently allow to be shaped in our life, and that we have to ask the question to, is this being shaped by culture or by Christ? And the first one is our understanding of fulfillment. And I wrote up there, culture says one thing cannot fulfill you. And Christ says, I have made you whole. You know, uh, I, when I was younger, my dad, he, you know, he, he did the best job he could. I know that now. Been, you know, I just know that. But as a child, he used to wake me up super early in the morning. Part of my job growing up or my, my culture background is, like, I got to throw the newspaper with my dad. 
And so as an eight-year-old child, my dad would wake me up at three in the morning and then say, hey, we got to go throw newspapers. And so I was like, oh, dad, I'm eight. <laughs> I want to rest. Can I watch cartoons instead? And so, no, you have to come throw papers with me. Okay. And he would, I just remember he would like, I would try to roll the paper. I'm really good at this. And you know, it's like a hidden skill that you don't know about. Really good at rolling the paper, throwing rubber band in it, you know, just do it. I could do it half asleep because I did. <laughs> but my dad would always be like, you got to do it faster, <laughs> right? Faster, we got, we're, get, we're getting late. We got to go to another stop. And I'm like, dad, I'm eight years old. I'm doing the best job I can. And my dad would say, well, your best isn't good enough. I was like, oh, Okay roll faster, wake up, stop reading the comics, right? And so that was kind of like my childhood growing up. I would, uh, growing up, my dad would just be like, hey, dad, I'm, I'm cleaning the backyard. Well, you got to clean it better. Now, why? It's the best job I can do. I don't know. I'm 12. I don't, I should be playing basketball, not cleaning my backyard. Your best isn't good enough. And it was just like that, that my whole life. And I realized that my understanding of fulfillment, of this uh, wholeness was wrapped up in my relationship, my really flawed relationship with my dad, that once I got out of there, I, I viewed the world as this place where I was called to like try to keep doing things to achieve a level where I would eventually be good enough. That like there were things in life that you had to just keep leveling up before you would achieve a degree of wholeness or completeness inside of you. And I don't know if you've experienced that, but it is so discouraging to feel like no matter how hard you try, no matter what you're doing, there's never a place where your best is good enough, where you actually achieve the sense of wholeness, where you're actually fulfilled as people. And what Paul says in 2 Colossians 2, uh, verses 9 and 10 is that he has made you whole, that Christ has made you whole. Let's read. It says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is head over every power and authority. And what Paul is saying is, listen, this Jesus who you follow isn't just a good teacher. He isn't just a good man. He's not the ideal philanthropist or, or a miracle worker. This Jesus is actually God in human form, both fully man and fully God. And that is just a concept that I'm still not grasping around. I can't understand it. Talking about it confuses me. But that's the reality of Christ. And because he's both fully man, fully God, he has the power and capacity and ability and willingness to shape us and make us whole. And that's what Paul is saying. This man, this God who came down to earth to do a work in us has made us whole. And so our starting point should no longer be there's something lacking in you that you need to get better at to find wholeness. Your new beginning point shouldn't be you are incomplete and deficient. So there are things that you still need to do to be whole. It shouldn't be your best is not good enough. What Paul is saying is that Christ says the exact opposite. You have been made whole. You are complete. Your new starting point in life is that reality. So stop trying to find things that will fulfill you and start to live a fulfilled life. 
that is what Christ is saying. So you have to ask yourself this question about your understanding of fulfillment. What are you allowing today to shape that understanding? Is it culture or is it Christ? That brings us to the second area, which is our understanding of belonging, right? Belonging is such an essential part of what it means to be human, right? Nobody in this room, nobody in the world, nobody outside these doors, nobody will deny or disagree that each one of us has this need or this desire to be a part of something, to be a part of a community, to be a part of something where you find value in yourself, where you feel valued, where you feel worth, where you feel like people know who you are and know what you're about. Everybody longs for that. But there's this burden that culture puts on us that says, hey, listen, before you can belong, you have to change who you are. Change precedes belonging, culture says. But Christ says, no, I welcome you. I welcome you. I've never had a deeper longing to want to belong than when I moved to the Bay Area, 2006. And it wasn't because, you know, the Bay is like, if you don't, if you're not cool or have the, you know, whatever phone, you don't belong here. It was nothing like that. It was actually really personal. Uh, in 2005, December 15th of 2005, I graduated from college, and I knew that God was calling me to go to school to learn more about him, to understand who he was, and, just, and then teach other people. That was like the calling that he gave me. And so my girlfriend at the time, Allison, flew out from San Jose. She came to my graduation. She helped me pack everything I owned into my 2001 Chevy Cavalier. Everything I owned was in that car. And uh, I was like, okay, I got to go to Pasadena because Pasadena is where school is, and that's where I have to go, and it's four days before Christmas because we left on December 21st. So I'm going to drop you off in San Jose and then go to Pasadena. And she's like, well, what are you going to do there? It's Christmas week. And I said, well, I got to find a job because I, I, no, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. It's gotta, God told me I got to go to school, and I have to find a place to live. I don't know where I'm going to stay. I just know that's what I got to do, so I'm going. And she's like, in her wisdom and grace, hey, maybe you should spend Christmas with my family and I because we have, like, a place you can stay until you get your feet settled. It's like, all right, let's go. San Jose, it's, like, near San Diego, right? So it's, like, a two-hour, <laughs> we'll just curve off, and I got to go back. And I'm really bad, really bad with geography, really bad. <laughs> and so 13 hours later, we had gone up the California coast, it was really dark at night, and we drove up to her house. And my background, like personally, just for me, the biggest like place we've ever lived as a family of six was a three-bedroom home with like really bad air conditioning in Phoenix, Arizona, with no just like dirt in the backyard. And so it was just we were all huddled, four boys under the you know 10 to 20 in two different bedrooms. It was crazy, but that's like this is normal. This is you're right. Everyone does this. But when I drove up to Allison's parents' house, it was crazy because her dad's a rocket scientist. Like, literally, he builds rockets for missile defense. I don't know if I can say that, but I think I can because he told me it's okay. But that's what he did for a living, right? And so they had this. It wasn't like a mansion, but I thought it was a mansion. It was two stories. Who lives in a two-story house? Not me. And so I got there, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Her dad's a rocket scientist. I have this huge house. It's beautiful in California. 
I don't even have a job. I don't know what I'm going to do. And in that moment, I was confronted with this, like, reality that culture had shaped my heart because I thought to myself, will they, like, will they accept me? Will I belong to that family? Because I really want to. I really, really love this girl. And I was confronted with this truth that I had grown up thinking that the only way to belong was to look like other people, to sound like other people, to act like other people, to behave like other people, to have what other people had to, to pursue this community that I admired and then like try to mimic them, that me as an individual was actually worthless. And so I had to create a new identity to belong. And I realized in that moment that culture had just shaped me so, so wacky. And I was so, so grateful when Allison's parents came out and, and welcomed me into their home. I was so grateful that they had been shaped by Christ and not by culture. It was amazing. The other day I told Allison's mom, Mom, God bless you. Why did you let me marry your daughter? <laughs> and she just said, well, it's because I knew that that's what God wanted us to do. And it was just this overwhelming sense of like, it is because of Jesus and what he's done that I belong to this community, to this family. It was so freeing. And so what Paul talks about in verses 11 through 13, we don't see it usually very well because we're not part of that culture, that history. But I'm reading and then just talk about what Paul and God say about understanding of belonging. Verse 11 says, in him you were also circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. And when Paul was writing to the Colossians, he was writing into a culture where there was a confluence of old religion and then this new movement that both were worshiping a resurrected king, Jesus, right? And Paul uses the literary phrase circumcision to identify one of those groups, and that was the Jews, right? Circumcision was a covenant that God instituted at the beginning of the Bible and scriptures. We see that with Israel as a physical sign of a covenant, which was a, an agreement that would be the basis for relationship between man and God. And so circumcision became a tangible uh, just way of identifying with that covenant. And so if you were circumcised, then you could say, I'm in right relationship with God. And what Paul is doing to this group, he's saying, listen, what Jesus has done on your behalf goes way deeper than this physical right that you practice. This thing that Jesus has done has actually recreated you so that you are a new creation, a new spiritual reality now exists that you're a part of. And he explained this to them because the Jews had begun to think that this physical ritual was sufficient for salvation or relationship with God. And so he had to correct their thinking because they were trying to push that onto other people. Hey, you want to be a part of this kingdom? You have to do these things. You have to act this way. You have to behave like this. And Paul's saying, no, no, you've got it wrong. Jesus has done all the work for you, and he welcomes you. And so that was that group. And when Paul uses the phrase uncircumcision of the flesh, he talk, he's talking to every other group, not Jews, right? They call them the Gentiles. 
And what he was saying to the Gentiles was, listen, you were once separated from this covenant relationship with God. But now in Christ, what has happened is he's eliminated anything that separates humanity from entering into the kingdom. He said, listen, it doesn't matter anymore what you look like. It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you're going. It doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter your economic status, your heritage, your culture, your ethnicity. Nothing matters except that you have been remade in Jesus. And because of that, you belong because of that, Christ welcomes you into his community. It is an invitation that Jesus gives to everybody, and it's not to say that everybody will accept it. But I think that we struggle with this idea that we have to look a certain way or do these things to be pleasing to God. And what Jesus is saying is, no, I welcome you. I've done the work. Come and be a part of this kingdom. Come and belong. What it means is that you, as a unique individual who has been made complete and full in God, you have equal worth, you have equal dignity, you have equal essence as everyone else in this community. And together, we worship a God who loves us freely who distributes his grace openly, who welcomes us with open arms. And that's just, I think for me, a beautiful, beautiful reality that should shape the way we live our life. And so you have to ask the question again, what are you presently allowing to shape your understanding of belonging? Is it culture that teaches you that you have to change before you belong? Or is it Christ who welcomes you? It's huge, yeah, it's so huge. Thirdly, then, is this area of our understanding of forgiveness. Culture says you must earn forgiveness. Christ says, I have forgiven you. And it is uh, such a distinction between those two things that it just has amazing implications for our life. Right, so growing up, like I said, I did, because of the way that my dad interacted with me and my family, we didn't have the best relationship, right, my dad and I. I, you know, for the longest time, I'm only now, only now am I, like, beginning to embrace the idea that I have a father on earth. But for the longest time, I didn't embrace that. And one day, my dad called me out of the blue and said, hey, I want to come visit you. I, I need to talk to you. And, and I don't know if you've ever had, like, these people that have deeply offended you, and you're like, yes, I want to talk to you, because when I do, I'm going to destroy you. Like, I have a list of things that you've done to me, and I'm going to make sure you don't leave without hearing that list. That's how I felt with my dad when he said that. I was like, yes, yes, come talk to me. <laughs> I welcome you. <laughs> horrible intention in my heart. So he came over. And, like, this is a man who, like, I had seen and interacted with. So I had this view of him, right? It was just a view, never broken, never, never anything. Just, you're not good enough, right? And so when he came home to, to my, the apartment that I was living in with my mom, he, he just started talking, and I was waiting for him, like, just give me an opportunity. How are you doing? I'm doing poorly. Look at all these scars that you've given me. 
not, not physical scars. He didn't beat me, but like, you know, <laughs> I have all these things that are a part of me that are because of you, and, and you need to pay me back for them. But then the, the, the next thing he did, like, took me completely by surprise, because it wasn't, it didn't sound like my dad, it didn't look like my dad, but he got on his knees, and he just looked at me and said, son, will you forgive me for what I've done to you? Will you forgive me for the way that I treated your, like, the family? I know I messed up, and there's nothing I can do about it now, but will you forgive me? And guys, I, man, in that moment, I was confronted with this reality, with this question, what are you going to allow to shape you, Tony? Culture, where forgiveness has to be earned? Or Christ, where your life is a reflection of the truth that you have in him? And guys, I, I, I don't know what happened, but like every burden of guilt and, and frustration and anger that I had escaped me when he did that. And I had to forgive him. I had to. Because I realized this is exactly what Christ had done for me. And it's something that Paul talks about in verses 13 and 14. He says, When you were dead in your, transgression, in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away and nailed it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and the authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. And see, there's a reality when your understanding of forgiveness is shaped by Christ of a totality of forgiveness for yourself. That God has canceled every debt. There's no sin or grievance or offense that you have between God that he will not or cannot forgive in Christ. Nothing that you have done, nothing that you can think about, no matter how big or small, no matter how secret, or hidden, or public and known. There is nothing that will keep God from forgiving you in Jesus because that is what he has done for us in Christ. He has come down in human form. He has died on the cross to pay for our sins, and he does it lovingly, graciously, openly, just expectantly that you would realize the reality of that totality. You have been forgiven. You do not have to earn forgiveness with God. Christ has done the work for you. Live in that reality. Because culture's understanding of forgiveness is not God's understanding of forgiveness, is it? Culturally, and we all know this, culturally, Forgiveness is hardly final, right? We are told that we have to hang on to the offenses until they've been paid off in full. That letting go of something who's guilty is actually injustice. It's not fair. But what Christ has done for us in Christ, what God has done for us in Christ has been is just that. He has freed us from the burden of our sin. You can't erase the event, 
but he's forgiven you so that the burden no longer weighs heavy on your shoulders, so that you're no longer living out of that. How am I going to tell my parents? How am I going to tell my family? How, how am I going to tell God? He must not want to be with me. He must not have, want a relationship with me. All of these things have been taken care of by Jesus. And that's what Paul is trying to say. Forgiveness in Christ is final. Forgiveness in Jesus is final. The work has been done. And this week, I've wrestled with these questions. Because even in that one, you have to ask yourself, what is shaping your understanding today, presently, of forgiveness? Is it culture? Or is it Christ? Because the beauty of our relationship with God is that we're not passive. We are not like the rocks and the trees. We are called to engage in relationship with him actively in that process. Because what Jesus has done on the cross is that he has triumphed over everything. Jesus is our victorious king. And because of that, we should allow him to shape our life. We should allow him to shape it. Because he has the best design for us. He knows what it means for us to be complete and whole. He knows what it means for us to belong. He knows what it means for us to be totally forgiven. And so we should allow him to do that. Which leads naturally to the next question, how? How do I do that? How, how, do, I, how do I engage in a process where God is doing these things in me but I can't shape myself. And, and I just have two quick answers. First, accept the welcome invitation of Jesus into your life. Believe that he offers you the forgiveness of sins through his death on the cross. That his triumph is actually your triumph. That his victory is actually your victory. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. That's my plea to you right now. If, if you've not done that, believe in Jesus. Because he can make you whole. He can welcome you. And he can offer you total forgiveness. For us who have walked with Christ, we have these moments where we just still feel distant with him. I only have one word, really, and it's just something I'm learning how to do well. I'm not, I'm not good at this yet, and I want to be, is to create rhythms in your life. Create rhythms where spaces are there for you to engage with the one that has the power to shape you. You cannot shape yourself. You can't. But you can engage with the one who will. And who is. And so create those rhythms in your life. That's part of the reason why my daughter and my family and my son and my wife, we went to the beach. Because I realized, they're, you know, she's only two and a half and he's only eight months old. They're still babies. They he's not going to remember the teething that he's going through. Right? He's not going to remember those things. He's not going to remember the number of poopy diapers I changed. I wish he would. And I don't know if she'll remember when I picked her up and carried her because she fell and hit her head and bonked it. I don't know if she'll remember those things, but I do know that time is fleeting. 
Time is fleeting. And if I don't create rhythms where I can point my children to Jesus, then the world will point them to something else. I know that that's true. And I just remember walking back to the blanket with my son in my arms, just cuddly, and my daughter in my arm, and we're just jumping in the waves. I was just thinking to myself, God, please, help me to create rhythms where they will learn how to allow you to shape them, because I cannot. I cannot make my children do what you are calling me to make. I can't do that. I can't do anything. But I can create the space where when they are interacting with me, I can point them to you. So guys, girls, friends, ask yourself these questions. What are you presently allowing to shape your life and your understanding of forgiveness, of belonging, of fulfillment, because it is being shaped right now. I would invite you, believe in what Christ has done, because he is doing a working that no one else can do. And he is victorious and will finish it. And he's just waiting for you to participate and engage with him. Let's pray. Father God, I, Lord, I, I'm sorry for believing for so long that I could just wait as you did the work in me, God. I'm so guilty of that. God, I just pray that you would invigorate me, Lord, to live out of a new reality, that I would not leave this place and think that I have to do all these things to please you, God, but that I would embrace fully that you have made me whole, that you have given me a place to belong, and that you have totally forgiven me. And God, I just pray that that would be our reality, that we would not believe that death is a loss like culture would have us believe, but that we would believe what Christ teaches and that death is a victory. The resurrection was just proof of that. And I just pray, God, that we would fully embrace that and begin to actively engage in you, that we would allow you to shape us today so that you would determine our shape tomorrow. God, I thank you for this time. In your son's name we pray, amen.